Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Mark 16, 15. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. John 20, 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all. Well, typically, I would be sitting down here, definitely not standing up here. I love blending in and not being up on a stage, and yet here I am. If there would be anything that I could communicate and impart to you, it would simply be this. As we enter this season of trying to discover what, this, what our Lord's great commission is, that you would see me, you would see yourself as fellow learners. In fact, I love what, what Ed and what Burns said last week is that to make disciples is simply that you would make, you would consider yourself a learner or an apprentice of Jesus. And that our mission would be very simple. And that mission is that we would be learners who love Jesus, who are making other learners who love Jesus, who are making other learners to the outermost parts of the earth, starting here in June. My name is Eric Easton, and in addition to, to being a member of this church, um, one of the reasons why I was asked to speak today was something that happened to me when I was in college. Uh, and it really wasn't until my senior year of college, probably. Uh, I was involved in a Christian ministry, and this Christian ministry was actually uh, founded on the scripture that my daughter Anna Brooks read, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Where Jesus says, and again, it's a summary statement, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the end. What's really interesting is that these are all just summaries of something that Jesus had talked about a lot. And as a church, we've decided, because Jesus talked about this so much, 
we want to spend an entire season talking about this thing that in later years will become known as the Great Commission. We're in a season of transition right now. Um, I think most of us right now, this is the type of season where I feel particularly vulnerable. Uh, I enjoy summer at a little bit of a slower pace. Um, I don't know about you, but I get a little bit depressed, honestly, at June 22nd, because it's that first day past the summer solstice where what happens? Less and less light, right? And so there's this sense of like, man, we're already in June and now we're in July and life is really great and it's fun and it's warm. But the days are getting shorter. And now how many of us have been waking up for the past couple weeks saying, wow, these days are really short and dark. And I'm starting to have to go out and go to this thing called school. And remember what that was. And parents are sending our kids off in this direction. So it's a season of sending as well. Um, this is that time of year where kids, I'm going to speak to you specifically. Here's what we as parents are trying to do. We, we literally believe that school is a good thing. And as we send you, we think that it has something to do with you becoming um, a good human, a good person, um, somebody who's actually being equipped to do the very thing that God has gifted you to do all along. And let's face it, it takes a lifetime to figure that out. But going to school is one of those ways that you can start to rehearse and practice with other people these things about you know, what life is all about and what matters most and starting to discover how has God gifted you to do something beautiful in the world around us. And this is that time of year too where I'm starting to, well, I've already seen for the past couple weeks, those of us who have college freshmen sending off our kids maybe for the very first time and uh, you see the pictures on social media i know some of you already i've had conversations there's a lump in our throats as parents if you've ever been there when you are sending in a more significant way you are now college student who for 18 years has lived with you and now this son or daughter is moving out into the world to, to sort of make an impact. And here's what's going on if you're a parent. Um, you feel like this is kind of that moment where um, I am just hoping and praying that those 18 years have imparted the vision and the values of our family um, and that you would remember those things. And so this is no longer that grade school of like, hey, um, make sure, you know, mind your manners. Do your homework. Um, don't be on your phone as much as you are. Like Those are good and those are important. But this is when you start getting to those more significant things of like, I feel like I need to say something to impart wisdom or something of ultimate importance so that my child knows who they are. And so we found that to be true. I did specifically last week. We were sending off our oldest son to college. And it was that moment, I'm like, I think this is when I'm supposed to give a speech. Uh, but he doesn't do really well direct communication. You know, it's better to kind of come on the side. And so my on the side is writing. And sometimes uh, I write too much. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to write the, the kind of the, what is the most important thing I would want my son to remember? And, and in a sense, this is all I said to him. I said... 
remember to walk with others and remember walk in light that was it that was a summary of 18 years of parenting right you can see i'm still thinking about it now and it's so funny because he's had a week in college already and we've got this family chat going on and so uh i asked yesterday i said hey what are you up to this weekend? He says, I'm going climbing. This is actually a text message here. That's it. And uh, he says, quite fun, but we ended on a bad note, dot, 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 copperhead in a crack. Oh. And literally, that's it. That's the end. He didn't say anything else. <laughs> Classic, right? Mason, my wife, says, yikes, no one got bitten, right? Question mark, exclamation mark. Our son. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> Mason again. Did you all rush him to the hospital? Our son. Yes. <laughs> There's a bit more of an exchange. It's more on us, less on him. To which he finally replies, he was super mellow about it all, and they cruised out pretty fast, in other words, to the hospital. I think it's going to be fine. <laughs> Maybe it should have been walk with others, walk in light, and don't do anything to get yourself killed. <laughs> Just don't be crazy, right? We have a summary statement that some of our readers just read up here to you about these concluding statements sort of of ultimate significance. These aren't new things. When we as parents are sending our kids out, they're not the new things. Like, hey, I've never told you this before, but by the way, this is Jesus saying, I have always been about this. And ever since you started to walk with me, you've seen it. You've heard me preaching this message. Now you go do the same. If I were to summarize the Great Commission... We heard it five different ways. For, by, by the way, just for expectations, do we have slides or am I on my own? Is that a thumbs up? Okay. I got, I got a finger from Vern. Here'd be a summary. With God's authority, you are my witnesses. Go and make disciples here, there, and everywhere. In the power of the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you all the way. Jesus. The Great Commission begins by making disciples. How do we begin by making disciples? Um, here, here's the bad news. It begins with this thing called evangelism. And why do I say that's bad news? Because actually evangelism is good news. But one of the things I've observed, so um, my wife and I are in college ministry, our mission is to make disciples among college students, starting in Boone and actually fanning out to the ends of the earth. We are about equipping college students to go and make disciples of the nations. And one of the things that I've been noticing, and you've probably noticed as well, is that there's some barriers that keep us from moving from this Great Commission trajectory, which is sort of this outward and into the world and increasingly among people who are not like us. And one of those first barriers is that, quite honestly, 
if the only thing that people see us doing outside the church is sort of just this proclamation of things that are true about Jesus, it sort of just looks like we're just increasing membership, right? It feels a little bit like direct sales, where, <laughs> hey, I've got this thing I want to invite you into, and it's really great. And there's a sense, it's like, yeah, you just sort of want to grow your numbers and your power and your prestige, and you want to have influence. And right now, I, to be honest, um, here in North America, what I'm experiencing, many of my conversations with people who are far outside the church, especially young people, they've said, I've tried it, I've seen, no thanks. Or, I'm not even going to go into this church because I know what you're about. You're about your politics. You're about getting power back. You're about some political issue or you're about doing something that's going to take away my rights, my freedom. No thank you. And isn't that crazy? And isn't that sad? That Jesus is the one who says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And yet one of the things I've found to be true is that if we are only about the truth of Jesus without the way of Jesus, our friends, our families, and those that we have yet to meet will never experience life in Jesus. Say that again. Whoa, preach it. Thanks, Piper. (laughs) Here's a thought before we move on from evangelism again. Evangelism is that starting process for making disciples. I've got a buddy, a colleague, who actually works at Harvard with college students. You might hear about him in just a minute. But here's what he says. He goes, if you want to think about evangelism, here's how we think about it. Evangelism is any intentional act aimed at inviting people to experience Jesus and his family for the first time. Any intentional act aimed at inviting people to experience Jesus and his family for the first time. And so when we see students that are welcoming, when we see students that are inviting, when we see students that are saying, hey, something is different about my life, or hey, do you have anybody to pray for you about this issue that's going on? That is the beginning of the Great Commission, where we are witnesses to something that has happened in our life. There's a couple other barriers besides just the fear of evangelism. None of us want to seem judgmental, narrow-minded, taking away people's rights. Um, There was this thing that happened over the last couple years called COVID. And the tragedy of COVID, among many tragedies, is that COVID has put us into a place and a posture and a season of not going and not sending, but of staying. In fact, To be honest, and I think this is true, especially among young people, and I want to say there's grace here, is that it actually can provoke a lot of social anxiety when our young people are showing up to do something new for the first time in a group that they've never been with, (laughs) and actually to start speaking and initiating and going out and directly communicating, let alone communicating anything about Jesus. And so... There's something about this COVID season where we have been separated and alone and not going out because it doesn't feel safe or good that we've developed some new habits. And I think we would say here at Food United Methodist Church, part of the reason you come back every week and times during the week is that we need to remember who we are, 
what we've been called to do. And thank goodness we don't have to do it on our own. Thank goodness we don't have to do it on our own. There's another reason that I think that we're just kept from being people who go. And honestly, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of vision. A lack of what Albert Einstein said, just a holy curiosity that we should never lose. To actually believe that God is doing something in this world, that something 2,000 years ago happened, and that it's actually absolutely applicable to what's going on in a person's life right now. And that we've been created to be in a relationship with God. And that at the right moment, the Holy Spirit, not Eric, but that the Holy Spirit is convicting people and creating holes and creating needs and creating a desire for people to come and know Him. That they might be fully human and live out their mission in the world. Well, during this COVID season, uh, there was a girl, her name is Cindy. Some of you I've shared about with Cindy before. She's a friend of mine. She's a student at Harvard. This is one of the campuses, including App State, that we resource for our ministry because even Harvard students need to know about Jesus. Cindy, like many of her fellow Harvard students, there she is, had to go away. Uh, she was not on campus. She was disconnected, no community. And up until this point of, of life, everything in Cindy's life had gone fairly well. You can imagine that for a Harvard student who's president of the fencing club, has actually made it there, who's doing really well, is very popular, that most things have worked out for her. And all of a sudden, she's back home, alone in her bedroom, and she says, nothing seems to taste like it used to taste. Nothing seems to matter anymore. What is the point of life? Cindy was having an existential crisis of life, of faith. See what Cindy did? Google. <laughs> what's the purpose and what's the meaning of life? And you know what came up? Book of Ecclesiastes. I'm here to tell you that if you want a gospel for today's young people, a gospel that is honest, is bleak at times, and yet ultimately pushes us to a relationship with the God who made us, Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon himself, is a great place to begin. And so Cindy, for the very first time, at a faith that was way far away here, that was not her faith tradition, she started to read something in the Bible that said meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. She said, yep, that's exactly what I'm experiencing right now. You know the next thing she did? Google. Harvard Christian Clubs. And she came upon crew, sort of the group I work with. And she reached out to some of my colleagues on my team. And that began a Zoom conversation about Jesus and the intersection with mental health. And what a relationship with Jesus and being in a community of faith might have to say something about that. So here's a couple cool things that have happened to Cindy in the past year and a half. She's become a follower of Jesus. Awesome, right? In the context of community. And she's actually said, this stuff is so important. Can I help in any way possible? 
And I'm like, surely you have nothing to offer, Cindy. <laughs> and I said, Cindy, this whole mental health and Jesus thing that we created, it's a, it's a conversation over a month. It would be a whole lot better if somebody like you helped us make it better. So she did. And so we actually have, right now, we've got about 60 or 70 campuses around the country that have been piloting mental health in Jesus. I would love for students, both high school and college students at App State, to try this out, to have conversations about some of the challenges that we're experiencing, the darkness, the separation, the anxiety, and not in a bait-and-switch sort of way, but in a real way, what Jesus might have to say and speak into as the Prince of Peace. Another cool thing about Cindy, next slide... Maybe. Cindy got married. Cindy got married to a guy at MIT. You know, she just decided to kind of lower her standards a little bit. <laughs> They're married. He's a strong believer. He also was involved in a crew ministry as well. And they are trying to figure out how do we impact people like us. Pretty amazing. One of the realities when you hear stories like this or you see me and you think, okay, here's a guy. It's sort of like he's the career missionary. We in our heads say, that's a really inspiring story. I'm so glad we've got people like this around. Boone UMC, I'm glad Vern, glad Ed can stand up here. But we actually disqualify ourselves because we show up hoping that was a good sermon, hoping we like the worship, and then we go home and our lives largely are not changed. One of the amazing things about the Great Commission, it's an all-play. It is an all-play, and it is not an all-star cast. When these young readers were reading to you this message of going and making disciples of all nations, starting right where they were, do you know who that was to? It was to followers of Jesus who had just experienced the greatest loss in tragedy, and wait, 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 did something happen? Who is this back with us? We're not sure. And so here's some of the words that are connected to what Jesus said from his followers right before Jesus gives these sort of nice words of sending. Here's the people who were doing that, who were following. They were the doubting and disbelieving, the startled and the frightened. Right before Anna Brooks read that go therefore and make disciples, the scene happens on a mountaintop, speaking my language already. And if this were made into a modern movie, there'd sort of be this scene of like, here's Jesus, he's, he's sort of vanquished the enemy, and he's brought his disciples. Matthew tells us that there actually were angels that were there, and so we're imagining Hollywood lights, We've got the trumpets going, and that might have been true. And yet I love what Matthew chooses to put in there. It says, they went up on the mountain and they worshiped, dot, 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 and some disbelieved. Some lacked faith. Like, how is that possible, right? And remember, here's the people who Jesus had around him. There's Mary Magdalene about the only thing we know about Mary Magdalene, but besides the fact that she's always showing up, is she wants to get as close to Jesus as possible. You know what else is true as Mary Magdalene? Right before in the last season of her life, you talk about having identity issues. Mary Magdalene was tormented by seven demons. 
And right next to Mary Magdalene is Peter. And you know what he did the week before? He heard those words of Jesus to go. Peter said, I don't know who that man is. I'm not with him. I don't even know who that guy is. At this point of Jesus' greatest passion, of greatest pain, we see Peter, upon whom the Lord would build his church. Peter the denier. And he's being given permission to go. And who else is there who's actually late to the party? He didn't get to be there at first. And then he came like, hey, hey, what's going on? Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. You know what Jesus did with his doubts? He rebukes him. No. You know what, you know what Jesus does? He says, Thomas, come close. Touch me. You can touch me here. You can touch me here. You can touch me here. You can have me. Come close. And it's too bad that Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. Because you know what Thomas did next? Here's what church tradition says. That Thomas went. He went from there. And boy, he went a long way away because most church historians say that this is true. That there's a part of India that is filled with followers of Jesus. And they call them the Thomas Christians. In fact, some of us here in this room have friends from Southeast Asia. Their name is Thomas. Their name is Thomas because doubting Thomas said, I'm worshiping, but in the midst of my worshiping, I'm doubting. And it seems that that's what Jesus is asking of us. Let me say one thing, and then I'm going to transition to talk about how do we do this thing? There's a point, and I want to make sure that this is not true, where you can leave this time and feel like, again, okay, so maybe we all are called to do this, but there's a sense of like, okay, so now I've got to do something more, one more thing for Jesus. I want to tell you, one of the most dangerous forms of religion is a religion that says, if you obey, you'll be accepted. Do you realize that that's a 180 from the religion of Jesus, the gospel, the gospel of grace? The gospel of grace is not, if I obey, then I will be accepted. The gospel of Jesus is, you are already accepted. Therefore, in gratitude, we get to obey. One is the law, and it produces death. Ultimately, you cannot follow that your whole life. You will not. It will bury you. And if that is your faith, you can run it for a season and you will burn out. It is the way of death. The gospel of grace actually enables you because you are accepted. And out of that acceptance of God's grace, you have a heart of gratitude. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and if you're a follower of Jesus, it is true. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Probably the most defining moment of grace for me happened when I was very young. I mean, I was probably in above his age, to be honest. I have, uh, I had, I grew up, uh, my mom grew up on the eastern shore of Maryland, and I had a grandfather, loved Jesus. He was just the kindest guy you could possibly imagine. And on the eastern shore of Maryland, he was a farmer, most like everybody in that community. And so next to his soybean fields that went for miles, there was this pond, we called it the mill pond, because that's what served the irrigation. And in the middle of that mill pond was an island, we called it Snake Island. I don't know why, I never saw a snake there, fortunately. Unlike my son who finds snakes in cracks when he's climbing, right? But there was a July, early July, and we decided it'd be really fun to shoot off bottle rockets, right, from that island. It's a really dry season, not a lot of irrigation going on. And so one of the bottle rockets that I shot ended up perfectly landing in the soybean field, covered in hay. That soybean field instantly just started lighting up. I mean, I'm not kidding, lighting up. So, I mean, here I was with my cousins, and we're swimming and rowing boats and doing everything we can to get back. We're trying to use the paddles of the oars to stuff it out. And fortunately, there were some farmhands that came. They helped it. I do believe there was a local fire department that might have been involved. And nobody, I'll tell you who was not involved, my grandfather, Popoff. He was not there at that moment. He was busy. We knew at dinner time he would come home. And I can tell you, we were full of dread and fear. When my pop-up came, he pulled us out before dinner. He's about ready to lay into us. And he full there was there was all this passion, and there was a certain kind of anger. He says, Among you boys, you could have really gotten hurt. cares about the crops, right? Who cares about what it costs me? It could cost me everything. But for me to lose you, I can't do that. Please don't do that again. If you've had an encounter with Jesus like that, and you can remember that encounter, it will empower you to go the distance because it's born out of gratitude. I wouldn't be standing up here and we wouldn't be going to this church if it weren't for the fact that this church is all about sending out missionaries near and far, being people of service in word and deed. And I think I could show some slides here. And Vern, maybe as I, Chris, I'm going to call you up here in just a second. You could see that green slide of some of the things when we talk about faith, promise, giving, what it is that you support, including supporting our ministry to college students. But there's a sense of like, okay, so what might it look like? And I think there's a sense of like, well, there's all these formal things. And to be honest, Vern gave me a bullet-pointed list of all kinds of great formal things. He says, hey, if you're a college student, Thursday night, come eat dinner. 
and then we're going to do a Bible study, but it's about making disciples. Um, hey, we have a new members class that Ed is starting up. It's three weeks. It is about learning how to make disciples. There's a dozen different things we could say. For those of us that say, hey, I am never going to be that person that feels comfortable opening my mouth and talking about Jesus. Start in our back lot with Fred. That's going to start up doing a woodcutting ministry, right? Where that has historically been a place where young people who may or may not know Jesus come into our backyard, feel welcomed by the church, cut wood, earn some sweat equity, and we actually demonstrate that what we proclaim is true really is good news because the good news goes to the most vulnerable people in our society, starting here in Boone. That's part of the Great Commission. It's actually a shame that Mason is not up here right now, my wife, because she's the one that's actually more faithful in some sense, where I feel like, oh, I'm kind of traveling around and doing things. But when it comes to faithfulness, to simply look around and say, how could I be a disciple who makes disciples? About six years ago, um, a young woman just out of college who's been a part of our ministry with crew said, I need somebody to disciple me. Would you keep doing that? And maybe there'd be a few other people. And that very organic listening to what God might be doing through this relationship, Mason simply said, yes, I think I could do that. Um, and Kristen, if you could come forward here, wherever you're up, there you are, sorry. Um, that saying yes to making disciples that Mason said yes to has formed into some really beautiful relationships over the last five or six years. And I want Kristen Gilmore, a member of our church as well, to share what it means to be a part of this thing that now you guys call Mason's Angels. Keep going, I bet it's kind of... Can you hear me? There you go. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so <laughs> my first thought when Eric asked me to um, come up and speak about this was, oh my gosh, I can think of 10 other women that are just as qualified, if not more, <laughs> not even qualified, but could speak uh, better to this. So I just feel fortunate to get to represent, I guess, one of us. <laughs> but <laughs> we call ourselves... Mason's Angels, um, which is kind of a, a fun, funny name for a Bible study. Um, it's because you're so angelic. Yes, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but it kind of came out of a place like Eric mentioned about six years ago where um, we all went to AF um, and then we all stayed. And so uh, our community left and we were like, oh, what does it look like to follow Jesus like for real? Uh, like post-college ministry, but now we're like working in the community. Um, and so yeah, uh, a girl that I hadn't met at the time reached out to Mason and said, hey, I think there's a need here. Would you be willing to do this? Um, and it, it didn't occur to me until this morning when I was thinking about this, um, that Mason could have said no. <laughs> I like never thought about the fact like what if she said no, um, but she didn't. She said yes, even though she didn't know us and she didn't already love us, um, which I just think is a really cool testament. Did she know that she was going to be saying yes for six years? I don't know, <laughs> um, but she has. So anyways, we were, we were invited to come over um, and be a part of this. And I think for, I can speak for most of us, um, 
it was exactly what we needed. It felt like Mason was an angel in that sense. I think that's where that name kind of came from. Um, because when I think about my time in Boone Post College, like these are my core community of people. Um, and so I guess um, when I think about how the East Bends, right, have shown us, okay, so what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? Um, I really think about the word invitation. Um, how, like when we look at Jesus's ministry, right? And his disciples were like, what are you doing? And what are you talking about? And he just says like, come, like come follow me. Like, like <laughs> come over and come sweating. <laughs> or uh, yeah, come over on Monday night. There's gonna be hot tea and dessert and we're gonna open the word. But also like, hey, you don't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving, come over, come over for Christmas Eve. Like come check out this swing that Eric just put in that's really epic. Like come along and walk with us. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> that's sort of what I think about um, in the way that Mason has like really, we have notebooks full of prayers and we can look back over the past six years and see, um, I guess, just how she has prayed for us and walked alongside of us and come to our weddings and baby showers and birthday parties. Um, it's just been really special to be a part of that. And I think when I think about the Houston's, they're just one family. I think in the church that really represents that really well. Um, does that answer the question? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, thank you, Kristen. Cool. All right, here we are. It's that time. We are concluding here. If you didn't hear anything else, listen to what Kristen said. Disciple making begins with saying yes to an opportunity to step out in faith full of worship and doubt. Knowing that Jesus is with us and that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be the salesperson. The Holy Spirit is a convictor. Ben, I think we're going to have you guys come up. And Laura Birch. Um, this is sort of our transition now where Laura is going to give a little bit of context to why we're talking Great Commission and some of the opportunities we have to both mobilize laborers and to go ourselves. Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, Kristen, for sharing. Yeah. We celebrate all of the many, many ways that... Um, Faithful people in our church are living out this Great Commission. And you saw the list on the screen. There's lots of ways that we support um, support different ministry partners um, through our service. Yesterday we had over 75 folks come out and uh, serve across not just Watauga County, but even into Ash and Avery counties yesterday. And um, also through our, our gifts, we're able to enable uh, Mason and Houston to be uh, in ministry. We're able to support many, many different partners that are doing what, what Eric said towards the beginning, um, not just sharing the truth of Jesus, so that is important, but also sharing those things that Jesus did, the ways that Jesus healed the sick, the ways that Jesus ministered to physical needs. Um, and if you saw our, our video earlier in the service, um, so many different partners that are doing just that, that are sharing Jesus's love through their words, through their actions, through meeting critical needs. So many of you come out and serve in many ways. And if you're trying to figure out how you would like to get plugged into serving, um, I would love to connect with you after the service. 
One of the things that we uh, do on uh, this cel mission celebration weekend is think about how we want to commit ourselves to serving over the next 12 months. And hopefully somewhere near you, you might have seen one of these little green cards. And um, we invite you through the rest of the service as, as the um, band is playing and as you're worshiping to, to really pray. How is God calling you to pray for our missions? To pray for the, the individuals and the organizations that are, um, that are doing work day in and day out uh, to, to tend to the needs of others and to serve and to make those invitations to see um, how Jesus is uh, there loving them even when it feels hard. Um, and then also to, to think about how God is calling you to serve. Are there formal ways you wanna do that? Do you wanna show up on Saturdays to Firewood Ministry or do you want to um, show up and serve at one of our local agencies or is it a, a more everyday sort of thing, the way you're showing up to a neighbor or to someone that you work with or someone in the community that crosses your path. And also, if, if you have uh, resources to give, how you wanna give to help these ministries continue. Um, we have uh, about 21 different partners that we uh, hope to be able to support in this upcoming year with um, some material funds to be able to do the work that is so critical to, again, meeting needs, to making disciples. And we get to be part of that work through our gifts that it, it takes all of us to make those things happen. Um, and so as we, uh, as we finish out uh, worshiping this morning, I invite you to, to think about um, how is God inviting you to serve and how uh, can you be a part of living out these words that, that Jesus left us with? Because there's so much um, that God is, is wanting to do through each one of us and through our church. And um, God is just waiting for, for us to say yes. Um, and so I invite you now to, to stand as we sing. And again, if you have one of these cards and you wanna leave it in one of the offering bowls, I invite you to do that um, during the songs or after the service.